Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. everybody how you doing yeah that game sucked welcome to broad street hockey radio that's right bsh radio my name is bill Matz. i'm your director of sorrow and misery for the afternoon no it's really not that bad guys it's really not that bad but what we have a jam-packed show for you i think everyone still optimistic uh really get this thing going so let's kick off the bsh radio with uh with the intros as we always do start with the fly by herself kelly hinkle so I think we've been out of the playoffs too long because everyone's lost their mind, which is uh, a little bit annoying. Every game that you lose means you can't win the cup. The only teams that win, <laughs> win 16 straight. Uh, evidently, you must win every game. I don't know whether it's because the Fly- You know what? It is because the Flyers have been out of the playoffs for too long. But I also think it's because there were no sports for so long and we've all been trapped in our houses. Like there's a lot of things and I agree. We don't Everyone's know how to I think, yeah. I really no. think it's, it's not that they've been out of the playoffs so long. It's that it's been so long since there were expectations. None of us were on social media like that. Like back then, you know, Twitter was brand new the last time the Flyers yeah, right? were good. So <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's, I just think that's the issue. I think we were always this nuts. I know I was. Fair. All right. From TheAthletic.com, he's smarter than Gre- Greg Wyshynski, Charlie O'Connor. Is this true? Anyway, <laughs> uh, I think that the one, I guess, central part of this series for me that has really stuck out is, and I'm sure it's been the same way for the players, I have no doubt, it's just been a very draining series. Like, it just, it constantly feels like when you're watching these games, with the real only exception of game two, which was just painful to watch, um that there's just constant tension. And I know playoffs are usually like that, but this series feels even more like that because it's been so tight and because it's been, with the exception really of, of this past game, Game 5, so low scoring that, that you know that one mistake, you know, one bad goal, one turnover can turn the entire game. And it just feels like you're on the edge of your seat the entire 60 minutes of almost every game. And it takes a lot out of you, I can say that. I mean, just they won. They won a game one to zero. Like that's that means every single thing that happens could change the game entirely. When you look at like in the in the two nothing game in game four, the type of goal that Phil Myers scored, like that could that could eliminate someone at any point now. Like it's this is some tense freaking hockey. Some of it was boring, but the end of games when it comes down to a goalie pull is uh, it's a lot to deal with. I hate this series. I hate it. Yeah, like, like, I've made this point about baseball because I am not, like, hockey is my favorite sport. Football is my second favorite sport. Baseball is very much my third favorite sport. And the point I've made about baseball to people who don't like the sport of baseball is that the thing with baseball is that the main criticism it gets is that it's boring, which is a completely fair criticism, but... 
the thing with baseball is when you have when when you have a vested interest in one team, all those periods of dead time, you know, the the conversations at the mound, waiting for the pitch, those boring parts of the game just serve to build the tension because you're thinking in your head yeah. constantly what's going to happen next is my pitcher going to make a mistake it's it's a one it's a one two count versus a two one count who has the advantage all of that is just building constant tension and it makes baseball exhausting in the best way possible and i feel like this series has been kind of similar in that like i get how if you don't have a dog in this race it would seem very boring but if you do you're just constantly tense and terrified and on the edge of your seat so it's been a very baseballish series to me if that makes last sense. last night was not boring however. no no last night was eventful that was, that was some that was some real genuine playoff hockey out there last but certainly not least Stephlicious D Steph Driver yeah I kind of disagree with Charlie and I think that the first four games of this series have been completely unwatchable and not just to a casual fan but to us like they've been terrible terrible games they haven't been enjoyable I've wanted to die every second watching them. Last night was not that way. Um, You know, they played, I think both sides played a good game. The Flyers just lost to a more desperate team, and that's what happens. But last night was the only, like, saving grace going into a game six. If I had to watch another game three of this series as game six, I would boycott. I would throw my television into the sea. That would be it. I, I've hated this series. I've hated this series. I now hate the city of Montreal. I hate all of the Canadians. Fuck them all. I hate it. I, uh, I think like, game two was just, uh, they got blown out, so that sucks. And game three was boring for most of it. But other than that, like, I think it's been tense more than anything. All right, so uh, let's get to the news of the day first, in which we don't have word yet, do we, about the Niskanen suspension? Could he be facing time for this uh, this alleged cross-check to the face of, of Rat Gallagher? I mean, he certainly could be. We don't know. I, I would guess he's probably in the, you know, in the midst of having the hearing, you know, either right now or maybe he had the hearing earlier because, what, they announced he was going to have the hearing, um, I believe, like, you know, be probably between like 11 and 12 uh, Eastern time uh, t- this morning. So it's only 420 uh, right now. Nice, so. Charlie. What do you know? <laughs> I, I, I kind of knew you guys are going to jump on that immediately. Um, so I'm not quite sure what the timing is, but I would assume that we will uh, we'll find out um, by tonight. You would think that they would want to give, um, you know, the Flyers and, and Montreal the opportunity to prepare uh, for the game, knowing whether Matt Niskan is going to play or not. I don't think this is something they're going to dump on the Flyers' lap tomorrow morning. So I'm expecting us to hear one way or the other by tonight. So Bill and I What's were talking. everyone's guess? I was, uh, well, I oh, mean. Go ahead, Kill. I was going to say that Bill and I were talking before the show about, like, is it actually bad if Matt Niskanen can't play in game six? Yeah. Is it bad? I don't think I, I'm going to say I don't think he's been as bad as people are screaming about. No. And this is like I think he was bad in the beginning of the series. I think he's been pretty much fine since. I think this this goes back to a, a phenomenon that I've noticed. I noticed a lot with Ivan Provorov is that if Ivan Provorov would make a few bad plays to start a game, everyone would be convinced that 
he had an awful game because those mistakes would stick in your head the rest of the game. And then every play that he made that wasn't perfect would then have you believe that he sucked. And I think the same thing has kind of happened with Matt Niskanen where he got off to an objectively bad start in the series, has gotten better, but everyone is everyone is going to continue to think he's playing poorly until he has an objectively great game that allows them to say, okay, Matt Niskanen's back. I think Matt Niskanen has been largely fine after the first two games. I was like, a lot, some people in post game last night were like, you know, he basically said what you said. I think he started poorly and he, he looked a lot better last night. Some people thought. I was just like, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think anyone was all that good last night. So it's really like he didn't stand out as bad to me more than anything. Uh, I just think. Do you want to miss? Do you want to lose Matt Niskanen? No, but this isn't like losing Pasternak or losing Svechnikov. True, true. Like they're not going to lose this series because Niskanen might miss Game Six. No, and it's it's overall okay. Um, in and and it's only okay because Shane Gossespierre is waiting in the wings. If it were, um, I don't know. Who who would have been who would have been like three Friedman. years ago? Had it have been Andrew McDonald oh. waiting to play? No, he he would be playing in the series already if it was three well. years ago. <laughs> True. So who whoever Mark was Alt? in the box or in the press Mark box three Alt. years ago? Oh god. Mark Alt. That's a great comparison. Had it have been Mark Alt coming in for Matt Niskanen three years ago, it would be a disaster. But it's Shane Gostisbehere. Yes, people don't have a lot of faith in him, but. He's still an NHL caliber defenseman. He's been in the playoffs before. It's it's not going to be worst case scenario if he has to come in in relief. Of, oh no. I think um, this could be I think this could be like the story, like the final we finally get the Shane Gostas Bear redemption story now. He's gonna come in and he's gonna have three points and the Flyers are going to round two. Like that's what I'm envisioning. I love it. I love Keep it. Keep that energy up. So uh, let's just go with the hypothetical for a second. Um, Niskanen does get suspended. I think we the way Montreal is lobbying for it, it's going to happen. My God! Uh, but let's go with the hypothetical. Say he is. How do you want to? How do you want to situate this thing? You want to move Myers up to the top pair? You want to just throw Ghost on the top pair after he got essentially benched? Like how do you how do you handle this thing? I don't think I want to separate Myers and Sanheim. I think that they're doing no. really well together. Let's keep that pair together. Um, Gossespierre and Provorov have played together in the past, so I, I'm not opposed to that. I think promoting Braun or Haig would be a mistake. Yeah. Because yeah, those, they're kind those guys of both, are 14-minute-a-night defensemen. They're just both playing poorly, so um, I, I'm, I'm completely comfortable with top-pairing Shane Gossespierre as long as he doesn't fuck up. I mean, it's yeah, the I'm logical place. Oh, you're not. I'm not I'm not comfortable with that. I am not comfortable with throwing Shane Goss's bear back in a top pair minutes. What um, would you do? Unfortunately, I don't I, I just I don't know if there's a good answer here, but I'm not itching to like I'm not itching to get Shane Gosser back in the lineup and immediately have him getting the kind of minutes that he would be getting. The kind of, you know, you can't make a mistake or else you're going to give up a goal type of minutes that he would be getting playing aside beside Ivan Prorov. Unfortunately, your other options, especially if you're keeping Sanheim Myers together, which I think is the right move. I think that's been the Flyers' best pair this series, so I think you do want to keep them together. Your only other options are either, you know, you you bump Haig up and that 
Provorov Haig pairing hasn't looked all that great in the past, although they do have some experience together. Or you bump Braun up, which truthfully, like, like that would probably be the best move from a stylistic standpoint if Braun was playing well, but he's not. So no, Braun is playing like dog shit. Yeah, so it's hard. I mean, it. it I don't think there's. I don't think there's a good answer to replacing Matt Niskan in this lineup for a game or two if he indeed gets suspended. So it's a t- it's a tough decision. I, I don't I it would be it would be a decision where like I don't know if I would criticize any of the potential moves that Vigneault would make there because we're not talking about one decision that is obviously best. We're talking about what's the least bad in my mind. Yeah, we talked about the prospect because we talked about the prospect of mi- mixing and matching because outside of Provorov especially if Niskanen's out, they don't have someone else the caliber uh, of Provorov who's going to play that 25-plus minutes, and you don't want to break up Sanheim Myers entirely. So this could be just a mix-and-match situation. Yes, they're going to have primary partners, but everyone's going to be playing with everybody to make this thing work since there aren't set pairs. Yeah, it's probably the only way you can go, really. Unless they just break up. Sanheim Myers and put Sanheim yeah, on the top. I mean, there. that's that's the most likely, I guess. I just think if if you have a mix and match with a bunch of guys, you could make it work for a game. Obviously, you want set pairs, but yeah, your top guy is out. Moving Sanheim up is interesting because obviously they were pretty good last year. They have that experience together, and then you could just slide Ghost right up there with Myers, mm. and that pairing has shown potential. Who plays so that, the right in that situation? Well, Myers would, right? Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, right. in the, it, with Provorov and uh, and Sanheim. Oh, I believe Sanheim did that year because okay. Provorov has pretty much been exclusively a left side defenseman, so yeah. Sanheim played the right. So I would assume they would go back to that. That that's an interesting one because I think Sanheim has played Sanheim has played well enough in this series that he I I think he would be fine on the first pair. It's just it sucks because you don't love breaking up that Sanheim Myers pairing because it's been really good. Yeah, I mean, of the remaining four defensemen, he's definitely the one that you would trust the most with first pair minutes, I would think. Yeah. All right, so game game five did not, kind, did not really go according to plan. Uh, I thought the Flyers were just completely unable to match the urgency and intensity and desperation of Montreal in the early part of the game and then were kind of playing catch-up from there, even though they had the lead at one point. It just kind of seemed like Montreal had an answer for everything the Flyers were doing. Uh, there's going to be plenty to complain about on this show. We're going to be able to vent and tell talk about our fears and frustrations. Uh, but first... Let's start off on the right foot. Tell me something good. Tell me one. Tell me a positive that you've taken overall from that game. Whatever. Are we talking this game or are we talking the series? Because there's series two, game. However two you want to very spin different it. things. <laughs> however you want to spin it. Um. Well, I, I won't take yours. I guess the one thing yeah. I will say from Game Five, certainly not for the whole series, but one good thing about Game Five is that the power play looked back or at least a lot better than it has the rest of the series it did and that's something, really important which is yeah nice. that's really important um 
because they weren't going to be, they certainly weren't going to be able to go far in the playoffs with a power play just sputtering every single game. And what's been made abundantly clear by Montreal's ability to push back is that I don't even know if they can beat Montreal with a power play sputtering. So getting that back going in game five, even though they lost the game, that's huge. It's huge because it means that, you know, guys like Claude Giroux are more engaged in the game. It means that guys like Sean Couturier are more engaged in the game offensively. It gets Jake Voracek some more opportunities. Hopefully, you know, if you can get a second unit going, maybe Travis Konechny gets going. But, like, getting that power play rolling is important. And the fact that they scored three times in Game 3, I think, is going to pay dividends down the road because they were clearly just overthinking things on that power play. And now you've got some goals. Now you can relax. You're not gripping the stick as tight. And hopefully you'll be able to get back to normal. And that should really be big for Game 6. And hopefully there's only a need for a Game 6. But if there's a need for a Game 7, it's going to be big there too. I'm pretty pleased with Phil Myers, series-wide. He's been, I think, very good, and that's nice to see. Because I do think that people had a bit of a question mark feeling around Phil Myers entering into the playoffs, just, you know, for obvious reasons. But he's been really good, and I'm happy about it. He has been good. That penalty he took on Evans was rough. Was that last night? I missed last night's game. Yes, that okay. was the the double minor after the whistle when he just decided to cross check him in the face. That was uh, that seems, was bad. It was film not Myers. good. Seems like a bad. It was move. not good. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes you got to cross check a motherfucker in the face, though. You know, <laughs> it do be like that. Yeah, but you've got to pick the timing. The time has got to be right, and that was everybody not just yeah. Niskanen everybody shielded it perf. <laughs> Niskanen shielded it perfectly. They just had that stupid camera angle or else he'd never even be facing suspension. <laughs> he did a great yeah. job blocking the referee. That's some that's some good heel wrestling shit right there. Do it behind the ref's back. Yeah, too many cameras and the aftertimes. <laughs> that's yeah. what we call veteran presence. Yeah. <laughs> Steph, tell me something positive. You know, I don't really feel all that bad about this series. I, I, I really don't. Um... They're they're still up three to two. Montreal has hit this team with a, a lot of uh, bullshit that we weren't expecting. That's my technical term. That is my extremely professional technical term for what is going on in these games. Uh, they're they're painful and boring to watch, but I don't necessarily feel bad about the team because of it. Um, you know, if we go back to the tweets that Alex Appleyard was tweeting last night, uh, the team has scored eight goals in this series. Giroux has been on ice for seven of them, Couturier for seven, Voracek for six. Like, yes, the top guys have taken a while to get on the scoreboard in terms of goals, but they're there and they're active. And if Voracek had a breakout game in the series last night, it's just going to take a couple more dominoes to fall for the other guys to, to start scoring goals themselves, but they're there. They're active. You know, uh, Kevin Hayes has been around. Hayes really He's trying. Up, he he had a, he had a couple yeah. shorthanded opportunities last night. He just didn't get a goal. Um, Should have had a uh, penalty shot, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I, w- I actually was happy with that call because the power play was starting to pick it up. And listen, I like Kevin Hayes. He's been good on the breakaway this year, but Kyrie Price, pretty fucking good. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I, if- I like yeah. our chances with five guys trying to score versus one, mm-hmm. personally. That and, and Carter Hart, like, 
He didn't look sharp last night, but games three and four? Jesus Christ. When you go 120 minutes without a goal against, you're allowed to look human, and this team's supposed to pick you up, you know? And and they didn't, but, you know, Jesus, he is amazing. He is exactly what we've been waiting for. So, I, I I don't know... I don't know if I'm ruining your negativity vibe. No, here, no. I'm not I, feeling bad. I'm not feeling bad about the team. I, I, like I, I woke up driver. feeling I woke up feeling much better today than I was on post game last night. That's what makes the post games fun for me, is I get to say a bunch of regrettable shit <laughs> and then take it all back on this show. You know, so no, I, nothing I ever say is of consequence. So it's basically um, like a night out in college. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like if you sneak out before she wakes up, it never happened. Oh boy. Oh God. That's not. That's uh, that might not have come across the way I wanted. I was. To. I was more talking about like getting drunk, yelling at your friends, and then the next morning everything's fine. But well, that's I mean, still you, my. You, life. you took it in that direction. That's still my life, Charlie. Uh, <laughs> my positive, as Steph alluded to during hers. Anyone who's ever said, like, Jake Voracek doesn't play hard enough, Jake Voracek doesn't care out there, we talk about this, like, a lot. Guys with certain styles just kind of look like they're not trying sometimes, but if you ever thought that about Jake, I thought he was, like, one of the few guys who really matched the intensity level for 60 minutes of the Montreal Canadiens last night. Obviously, the two goals. He had that other unbelievable play where he uh, ducked his shoulder and deked a couple guys and got a scoring chance basically all on his own. And then the scrum at the end. My God, he hooked. How strong is Shea Weber? And he hooked him up good, and he could not get free. That was that was my highlight of the game. I loved that so much. <laughs> it was good. It he was put the Cobra Clutch on him. Look at that. That is the million-dollar dro- dream, baby. <laughs> He did have. He him. went and punched. He went and punched Sean Couturier, and Jake Voracek was saying, "Not on my he fucking watch, into guy." Jumped the pile, a la Neil Little. He sure did. Yeah, That's great. exactly what I thought of. Was Neil Little Superman flying into that pile? So of bodies. I'll give it to Voracek. Uh, I, I defend Voracek. I criticize him when I feel it's warranted. Jake Voracek, thank you for last night's game because I was pissed off. Other than what I saw out of number ninety-three. What what pissed you off? We're going to get into that now. Great segue. (laughs) The most frustrating aspect of Game 5, because to me it was they had to be dragged into the fight by Montreal. Montreal came out right away. What did they do? They took a run at heart. That was completely intentional, that goalie interference penalty. They didn't give a shit because our power play has sucked so bad. And what happened? They came out hard on the penalty kill, scored a goal right away as Travis Sandheim's skating around, lackadaisical, the puck's, oh no, the puck will come to me. I don't got to skate hard to it. Nope, got beat to it, boom. It took until Sandheim got boarded that they didn't wake up. I, like, I just, I thought it was, they had to be dragged into the playoff intensity last night, and that's why they had to play catch up. It's lackadaisical. Isn't that what he said? <laughs> no <laughs> matter. He said lackadaisical. Ah. <laughs> that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> They're sitting there tapping I, our I, goalie on the head, no listen, response. Listen, I waited for you to finish before I corrected you. Um... I I agree to an extent. I, I think that the Flyers came out prepared for the style of game that they had seen in the last four games, and Montreal flipped the switch. Whether and, and I don't think that that was right by the Flyers. That was not the the way that they should have approached this game. 
But look at look at the other four games. That's how they that's what they were expecting. And and that's just not how Montreal Most of that the game. players on this team have never been to or passed the second round of the playoffs. I thought that killer instinct of we're better than them, we're going to put this series away right now was going to just take over and no, Montreal took the fight to the Flyers from the opening puck drop. I mean, yeah, this no, is- they don't have that right now. This is what happens, though. Like, I, I, I understand what you're saying, Bill, and that I wish the Flyers would have had that. But Didn't like, happen to Colorado. This is what happens, generally speaking, in an elimination game. Generally speaking, I mean, look at the look at the Tampa game. Tampa won that game. Columbus was the better team. I mean, they found a way to win. They got it in overtime, so props to them. But, like, Columbus came out, and they were on fire. They were flying all over the place. They were out shooting the lightning. Like, this is kind of what happens. You get a team's best punch as long as they have any bit of energy left at all, which I don't think Arizona did because they were just so dramatically outmatched that they had no chance. But you get a team's best punch in the elimination game. Now, hopefully the Flyers can look at what happened in in Game 5, You know, can prepare themselves for the intensity level that Montreal is going to provide, or maybe Montreal just won't be able to do it two games in a row because they've already staved off elimination once. But hopefully this is a learning experience for them. I mean, that was something I put in one of my columns, I think it was after Game 2, is that you know obviously the expectations for this playoff run have changed dramatically because they got the top seed, because they went on that run, you know, because they now look like they have, you know, a chance of potentially making this the year. But before all that, this playoff run was always viewed as something of a learning experience. You know, you're going to, you know, Carter Hart's going to learn about playoff hockey. Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers are going to learn what it takes to face off against top six forwards in the playoffs and how that intensity ramps up. You know, there was a lot of, you know, this team is in the, this is the start of their window and they are going to learn lessons in this playoff run that are going to benefit them when they're an even better team two, three years down the road. Now, I'm not saying that this is only a learning experience. They want to win it all. But these types of games, you know, kind of getting an idea of what a game opponent looks like in an elimination game, this is important. These these are lessons to be learned, and hopefully they learned their lesson in Game 5, and they're going to come out learning how to be better against that in Game 6. Oh, this is a, yes, if they come out in game six and do what they're supposed to do, this is but a bump in the road. I don't even remember when we do this show next week, but having just lived through it and it's the only hockey that just happened, like, this is my most recent memory of this team was not being prepared for the punch to the face they got from Montreal. That's all. See, I was more frustrated. I was less frustrated with the, um, with the, the fact they didn't come out super fast. I sort of expected that. I expected Montreal to come out flying, especially because, you know, a guy like Brendan Gallagher had essentially been challenged by his coach because he was benched in the third period of game four for half the period. And this is like the most fiery guy on their team. They, he was going to come out and he was going to prove that, you know, he's not a scrub. So I, I was expecting Montreal to come out with maybe fire that the Flyers were going to be a little bit overwhelmed by in the early going. I was just hoping they weren't going to give up a goal, which they almost made it through. I mean, that that pen, that short-handed goal was kind of fluky. So they almost got through. They, they stabilized things, I think, afterwards. What I was more frustrated about was the fact that like they freaking had this game. You, know, you, you score those two goals yeah. off the power play. You're up 2-1. The Canadians have lost one of their one of their top three centers, arguably their best their their best play driving center in the series in, in Kakaniemi. They lost him for the rest of the game. The Flyers had the absolute opportunity 
to then pivot their style to exactly what worked in games three and games four, frustrate the hell out of the Canadians and just suck, suck the life out of them. They had that opportunity. And instead, they kind of blew it. And that's my big worry. My worry is that this was their chance to win the series. And I, I do I think the Flyers are going to win at least one of the next two games? Yeah, I do. But you do worry that you're looking back, you know, in, in three or four days' time, like they they had them on the ropes. They just weren't able to deliver that knockout punch. And instead, you know, the guy who was so great through most of the series, Carter Hart, makes the big mistake that lets them back in the series. You have Phil Myers, who had been great all series as well, then follows that up with a dumb penalty that puts Montreal on the power play that gives them the lead again. You just had, you had mistakes being made with the opportunity to close out the series by the guys who you don't expect to be making those mistakes based on the way the rest of the series has, has played out. And that I, I, that rubbed me the wrong way. That was the thing that frustrated me the most about the game. Yeah, that, to echo what Charles said, watching the the re, like the highlights of the game, I was just thinking to myself, like, how did, how did this get away from them? Because as yeah. the, the highlights went on, I'm like, okay, they're in it. Like, they're doing it. I don't understand how to get away. And then you get to the game-winning goal – and it's just nothing but like a series of ridiculous mistakes. And it's like you've, you've had it. And then you fucked it up. 22 seconds. 22 seconds after they tied it up. Yeah, it was just it's like. That game winning goal. Ugh. It was very, very frustrating to watch even in short form. This just feels like a game they gave away. Yeah. And, yes. and I, I hope that they're good enough that they can give away a game and still win this series. But they have to go out there and prove it. But, like, this was a game they should have won. Their power play was working. Jake Voracek was delivering a monster game. Like, there was an incredibly dumb penalty taken by one of Montreal's best players that knocked him out for the rest of the game. Like, this should this series should be over. They should have ended it. They didn't. And now, now Flyers fans just have to hope that it's not going to come back to bite them. All right, so let's start in our, uh, in our assessments of some individual players here. Uh, Carter Hart. He obviously had the two shutouts, absolutely phenomenal. He was very good in Game 1. Game 2 just got away from everybody. Last night was uh, such an odd freaking game because he didn't play poorly, but it's not like he was good either. He, he, it looks like he's about to be pulled when Montreal scores, but it gets overturned on an offside. Let's start there. Like, have you ever seen that? A, a goalie get pulled, but nope, nope, never mind. You're good. Like, that was... That was weird. Odd, right? Well, professional goalie Mike McKenna said that he had never seen that before, <laughs> and I trust his expertise a lot more than mine. Um, I wonder whether Carter Hart asked to stay in the game or if AV was just like, no, you're good, go back out. I, I've got a lot of questions about that. But I also don't care, by the way. I don't care. At the end of the day, it happened, and he had a shaky game. It's fine. Yeah, he did, but I think Bill said it earlier. Like, this is the kind of game, after he shuts out a team for two entire games, you have to get your shit together and clear some rebounds and give him a chance to win it. Which they did not do. No, like, that's the... He didn't play great, but if Sanheim just has some urgency getting back to a puck early, yeah. and Thompson, Haig, and Braun all aren't out for a walk right after they freaking tie the game, What's that like, about? they win. God. That does explain their playing style they, very well. Just out for a walk. They, they win the fucking game, even if he doesn't play well, based on those two mistakes. I, so, I, I, how do you... 
How do you think he responds? Because last time he gave up four, he went on a 120-minute shutout streak. I mean, I can jump in now. The the way I look at it is it's a seven-game series. When you're a goalie for a team in a seven-game series, all you have to do really is have four really good games and your team is winning the series. Carter Hart has had three really good games. They just need to get one more really good game out of them, and they're probably winning this series. And I think he's fully capable of delivering one more really good game. Like, if you think back to that series when Halak, um, basically, we all talk about how he stole the series against the Capitals. I believe in two of the three games they lost, he was pulled. And no one remembers that because in the four games yeah. they won, Halak was a brick friggin' wall. And that's the thing. Like, you cannot be great for parts of a series and still steal a series if you're a goalie. You just have to be transcendent in four of them. Carter Hart has been transcendent in three of them. They just need to get one more amazing performance out of him, and, like, I think he's capable of doing it. He's definitely capable of doing it, without question, especially after after last night's game. I don't think that he allows himself to have two games in a row like that. It seems like a thing. He oh, just God, doesn't no allow way. it to happen. So he comes out tomorrow, and he's lights out for sure. Yeah, and much like this whole series, as long as they pull it off, like as long as Hart comes out and responds the way he's supposed to, Mm -hmm. that's all part of that learning experience Charlie was talking about. Like these are all things that are going to make them better, not not even in the distant future. Like next round, as long as they get there, this will come in handy for everybody. So that's another one of those, uh, that's another one of them positives I can chalk up back to the topic at the beginning of the show. What we're going to do right now, take a quick break, and on the other side, We are going to talk about everybody's favorite topic, the Captain Claude Giroux. I can't wait for that. All right, we are back, fam, and uh, how'd you like that tease? You know, you hung in because I told you we were going to talk about Giroux next, and whenever we do that, it gets contentious on this show. (laughs) You're a pro, um, though. (laughs) I'm not even going to criticize G. I'm just going to point out. That in his last 21 playoff games, oh, no. he has one goal. Oh, boy. He has one goal. This again. No, it's not. This, it's a, this is a fact. This is a statistical I fact. I know, but. That's, 20, that's three full series. That's three, right? Seven times three? Yeah. That's three seven-game series worth of games. He's got one goal in them. That's not good enough. Now, I'm not saying he hasn't been good enough in this series. Well, I am. But it's not entirely his fault. Like, uh, you ran down the numbers at the beginning of the show. He's been on the ice for this number of goals and all that. but And he's got four assists in five games. He had two primaries last night. He's he's looked good at times. But this little demotion down to the third line, it was a cute little experiment. That has to end. Claude Giroux has played 16 minutes and 31 seconds or less in three of five uh, playoff games this series, 16:30 or less in the last two. That's not like uh, whatever they're trying to do. I, preserve him or punish him or spread out the lines. He's got to be up on the top line. This is ridiculous yeah, yeah. at this point. No, no, you're yeah. right. Yeah, that was that was one of my biggest issues with um, with Vino and what he did in Game Five. Um, it was my question to him uh, in the post game presser because I think that was really where a lot of the problems with the the lineup stemmed from was Giroux's continued presence on that third line. You know, obviously he only got 16 and a half minutes. That's not enough for Claude Giroux. I'm sorry. You can say he's not playing like Claude Giroux. Maybe he's not. 
But you know what? He's still one of your best players. You got to give him the ice time. But here's the thing, too. I I can almost I can almost understand. You know, you're 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 you like the way the lines worked in Game Four. You're going to start out the game with them. Okay. The first period doesn't go great. You get that early power play. You take the lead. Okay. You keep things as they are. You're down going into the third. I did not understand why the hell Claude Giroux was not up on that top line to start the third period when you're down in that game. I didn't get it. I still don't get it. To me, I believe it was the end of the second period. It might have been the beginning of the third, but it was definitely early enough where, I mean, if I noticed it, I'm sure Vino noticed it. There was a sequence where, because Rafa was still up on that top line with Voracek and Turi, there was a shift where Rafa was gift-wrapped two golden opportunities one was a shot from the slot that he didn't finish and one was this beautiful pass i believe from voracek that he flipped over a guy's stick and raffle couldn't corral it if raffle would have corralled it he would have went right in for a golden opportunity and to me and i i wrote an article praising the shit out of michael raffle after game four i i I like audibling to him on the top line in certain situations but when you're watching him play and you're seeing the fourth liner michael raffle not the swiss army knife michael raffle and you're still keeping up up on the top line your first thought has to be get him off get claude drew back up there because michael raffle is not scoring a goal in this game and to me that shift showed me that michael raffle was not scoring a freaking goal in that game and i'm getting claude drew back up there immediately and instead Raffle was still on that line for pretty much the entirety of the third period and pivoting a little bit because I think the two are linked. The the fact that the Nate Thompson line was out on the ice after that power play goal that tied the game, one of the one of the excuses given for why that was necessary was, well, the top power play unit has had players from all three lines on the ice. They had just scored. So putting that fourth line on the ice was a way to reset the lines because you could put a bunch of guys out there that hadn't been on the ice. And you know what? There's some truth to that. Coaches do do that, you know, to, to give guys a break as they were just on the ice. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. If Claude Drew's on that top line where he should have been in the third period, that's not a problem because then you have a third line that isn't centered by Nate Thompson with Michael Roffel, Scott Lawton, and Derek Grant that can go out there that wasn't on the ice. Instead, you've got Claude Giroux on the third line, so now you did have a guy who was on the ice for on each line on that power play. The thing is, Drew shouldn't be on that third line. He should have been on the top line that entire period, and there it, it shouldn't even have been a thought that, well, we got to use Thompson's line because they're rested. No, a better line should have been rested because Claude Drew never should have been taking shifts on the third line in the third period. That, to me, that, that was my biggest frustration point with Vigneault because in, in this game because it linked up with all the problems that ended up biting them in the end. I'm so sick of Nate Thompson. Yeah. I know we're talking about Claude Giroux. No, no, no. I'm we can so move on to this because it's a topic. You got to go. All it, he's the only person I see on the ice ever. I see 44, and I know it's not Kimo Timonen. <laughs> I see him. I swear to God, he plays 45 minutes a night. I don't care Steph. what the numbers actually say. He is on the ice for 45 minutes a Steph, night. Steph, you tweeted that, and when I saw it last night, I was like, exactly! He's the only guy I've seen on the ice of this fucking... only I don't, guy. Somehow he only played like 12 minutes. That's impossible to me. It's a lie. It's a lie. Big math is lying to Can you. Can we talk about the, just the, str- and we'll, I wanted to get to Vigneault later, but this is a great time. You know, if that was Hackstall last night, we would be flipping, of course they wouldn't be in this situation, so 
you know. But <laughs> they wouldn't be in the playoffs. If that was Hackstall, we would be losing our fucking minds about literally scoring the biggest goal of the season to tie that game and then putting out the worst possible combination of five guys. Those are your worst five players. That, here you go. Here you go, Montreal. Let's see what happens. I mean, this no, this is was, the that, first it, time. It was a very Hackstolian. Yeah, this is the, it was an extremely Hackstolian. The maneuver. first time that I've legitimately had a serious issue with the decision that Elaine Vigneault has made. Like, in a Hackstall yeah. kind of way. Like, in a, what the fuck are you doing? Are you out of your mind? Because normally, the way it seems to have gone since Vigneault got here is that he makes a weird decision ahead of a game. We're like, why the hell are you doing that? And then inevitably it works out. Like, it seems like he knows what he's doing. This is the first time that the decisions have been, what the fuck are you doing? And then also did not deliver results on the ice. And it's, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I wasn't ready to be mad at Elaine Vigneault yet. And this was not good. No, like in post game, I kept like talking myself down. Like, ugh, I give him the benefit of the doubt. It's one game. You know, if he fixes this, again, it's just a bump in the road. But this was a bad decision. And we can, we can you know, laugh at the whole put your calculator away crowd and everything. <laughs> but uh, it's not a calculator of shot attempts. That's what's happening in the game. I don't care how many shots someone blocks. If you're only playing on your side of the red line, guess what? Chances are the other team's going to fucking score more goals than you. And that's minus. All you people that say that shit love plus minus, that's going to end up in a minus at some point. Goals against are bad. Yeah, I mean, my thing is less, my criticism is less strategic. You know, I I understand, I understand what they what he sees in Nate Thompson. He sees a guy who, yeah, there's, the, the Flyers aren't going to create much when he's on the ice, but they haven't been giving up much. They're giving up shot attempts, but for the most part, they haven't been very good ones. You know, he's been preventing scoring chances, things like that. I get it. I get the, 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 I, I, I get why he likes having Nate Thompson in his back pocket in these kind of games, in the playoff games. I understand it. My issue is that it's a philosophical disagreement with what you do after tying up the game. Sending Nate Thompson's line on the ice is basically saying, we are going to try to not lose this shift, and we're going to try to tread water to give our, our big guns a chance to rest up a little bit, and then we'll go after them. To me, my preference is to just go for the freaking kill. You know, you you just you just broke this team via the power play. You tied the game. It's the third period. Send out your big guns again. It was a 14-second power play. Sean Couturier and Jake Voracek are not tired. Get them back on the ice and try to get another one. Like don't don't play don't play scared. Don't play we're just playing to 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 break even on this shift. Try to go for their throats. And that's what I wanted him to do and that's what he didn't do. That was my main that was my other criticism. I'm glad you brought that up, Charlie. They scored right the fuck away. This they wasn't sure a 90-second power play that they got one at the end. Like, they scored immediately. We see these guys, they ice the puck, and then they, they have to continue playing, and they get a breakout. Like, uh, put them back out there. Avino did something similar on the power play right before that one that was a failure. Uh, um, they get a stoppage with a minute nine left in the power play. Top unit comes off. That second unit is a mash unit at this point. I couldn't even tell you 
who's on it right now. Like, I, I real this is my job, and I don't know who's on the second power play unit. I know Niskanen and Sandheim are out there because they keep mishandling the puck, but other <laughs> than that, couldn't tell you. Um, like, uh, what are we do? I, I don't know. This is a playoff game, guys. This is a fucking playoff game. You have to win. What are we saving them for? And, like, God, if, if your goal is to reset the lines, like, create a new line, a better line that doesn't have fucking Nate Thompson on it. I, our, our good friend, friend of the show, Corey Snyder, tweeted last night, Nate Edward Vanda Thompson. That was a good one. <laughs> God, like his best tweet of all time. Is that, how you, is that how you pronounce his last name? Schneider? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Huh. I would have never guessed that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a, a lot of letters. There's at least <laughs> one of each of those, maybe two. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly how I'm starting to feel about Nate Thompson. And, you know, probably doesn't have anything to do with him. It's just residual feelings from way too many years of seeing Chris Vandevelde oh, and Pierre yeah. Edward Belmar and Dave Haxtall. I, I am... You know, I, I have a love affair with Alain Vigneault because he's been so refreshing. How could they let him but, lose in that suit last night? He looked so you know, nice. That was a victory. <laughs> that was a victory it suit. It sure was. That was a. That was. Like, I. That was, on, that was, that was a, I want to look good for the post-game presser when we yeah. win this yeah. series. Yeah. 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 Now what are you going to wear tomorrow, and, bud? You should have won. But you know what? He did it to himself. That was, it was a, it was a rough coaching game yeah. for him. He, yeah. They had. They had last change too, and he, he made was, some he choices. Just, he made some bad choices. No, so. that's and, the- yeah, yeah. And well, this, this goes back to what I was saying about how you know, and I, I touched on this in my column after the game that what was frustrating to me about this game was that the things that were helping the Flyers to take that three-one lead, Carter Hart. Phil Myers, Elaine Vigneault's coaching. That's what gave game five away. And that yeah. was what was so frustrating is that, like, they all, you were doing so well. We were rooting for you. You were doing so good. And then, like, at the, the opportunity you have to finally just drive the stake through the heart of this team, the guys who got them to that point were the ones that blew it. And that was yeah. what was frustrating to me. Is it, yeah. is it a little funny to you guys that, you know, Carter Hart's home and road splits were what they were oh, this God. year. In the orange jerseys now, he's one and two and has given up eight goals in two of the three games. And in the white jerseys, he hasn't allowed a goal. Maybe yes. he hates, yes. little, yes. hates It's right. a little in, funny, no? Inject these ridiculous <laughs> narratives into my veins. They no, make zero no, sense, like, but you guys love them. Has anyone it's considered funny. that he's the orange hurts on the road his eyes? Now. Maybe the orange hurts his eyeballs. It's too bright. He's only good on the road now. Yeah, it's hilarious. All right. Uh, I said when we when we started this whole thing, we, were, we got off on this whole tangent. We were talking about Claude Giroux and like, I don't. Uh, was it you, Steph, who ran down his numbers and like he's been yeah. on the ice for pretty much every goal? Six out of eight. Yeah. So you know you can say what you will about him. Maybe he hasn't been as good as you want. I know I'm mildly disappointed in his effort, but and not not effort like how hard he's trying, just his production. But he's been fine. Some guy who might be legitimately my biggest disappointment of the first five games of this series. Oh no, this is gonna hurt my Travis Konechny. Yeah, what the fuck, I, if man? If he's not, if Travis Konechny isn't turning over the puck, yapping after the whistle, or looking for a call. He ain't out there or missing the net by a mile. Yeah, I don't know One what. Those, I don't know it what's says going he has eight there. shots on goal. I don't know when any of them were. 
he's clearly trying way too hard. It's like he has Claude Giroux syndrome where he's just trying way too freaking hard. Like, I I, I like Bill Clement. I mean, I've I've become friends with him. I do not like... I feel like he's being too critical of Claude Giroux not shooting the puck because Claude Giroux is a passer. And I do not necessarily want Claude Giroux just letting the puck fly all the friggin' time because he's better at passing than shooting. Travis Konechny, on the other hand, I want him shooting. And I feel like Konechny, his his shot, he is like, he is missing the net. He is trying desperately to pick corners and just not hitting the net. That's a bigger issue to me than Giroux, who like, he's going to get out of his slump not by killing the puck as hard as he can. He's going to get out of his slump by setting up his teammates for great scoring chance. Konechny is a goal scorer. Score goals. To be fair, uh, there have been some situations in which Claude Giroux has had the puck on his stick and the goal was right there and he passes it. As a passer, well, yes, I agree, he's a distributor. As a passer, he should see that when there is a defenseman between him and Derek Grant and another back checker coming straight for Derek Grant, he yeah, needs that was to bad. shoot. Like, that was bad. That's, that's bad, but no, what you're saying is true. Travis Snechny needs to fucking line one up and pick a corner and we can all go home happy. Like, I'm... Uh, I've bet on him twice to score in this series already and he's let me down, so I'm especially <laughs> angry at him. But he's, I just haven't seen anything from him yet. Yeah, as much as people yeah. talk about the top line disappearing, it's him more than anybody else. He's just been completely invisible. Yeah, I mean, don't forget, he was the Flyers' top scorer. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. He scored the most points out of anybody on the team. What's, what do we think his deal is? Oh, we already said it. He's, he's up just, in his he's head? In, he's in his with? head too much. Can yeah. someone tell my mom to I... call him and talk him down? Yeah. Well, of I was going to say Nolan Patrick. Well, I hope <laughs> it's. I hope it's that. Call your buddy Nolan. He's sitting at home and wishes that he was playing in the playoffs with you. See, I don't know. Is is, is Nolan conflict? Is Nolan conflicted because his best friend Dale Weiss is on the other team? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. Best friend Dale Weiss. Well, they don't pay Dale Weiss to be his best friend That's anymore. True. They still pay Travis Connecting to be his best friend. <laughs> and Chris. Stewart. Where's Where's Chris Stewart in all of this? Probably at home. Do we need to get him in the bubble to give them a little pep talk? Well, they already gave his number oh, that's away. That's true. They did. It's yeah. true. <laughs> Make him a coach. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Make him the power play coach. Seriously. Because it can't get any worse than what we're Had seeing. Had about enough right of that one. Now. Outstanding transition, Stephanie, because Listen, I want to talk I'm a about. fucking the... professional, William. Uh, I want to talk about the power play next. And uh, they got it going last night. It, it was. It was. It, it's. Like, the most ironic shit, like, we were just joking about the home road splits and how, you know, they dominated when they were the quote-unquote away team. But the power play finally gets going. They score three goals. So, of course, they lose. First time they, It's the first time in the playoffs that they have scored and won. <laughs> it's the, or the first time the Flyers have scored and lost, excuse me. Their only loss was the shutout uh, prior to this. So, but, like... I guess it's just a coincidence that the power play gets going and they lose, but what did they do differently that you thought uh, than the previous games where the power play was listless almost? I will let someone else answer that, but just my own opinion on the power play is that they were going to break through eventually. There's just too much. There's too much talent on that power play for them not to. I think that that they probably do miss JVR planting his ass in front of the net 
Um, but they're making it work. Um, I, I, that's, I, I don't know if they did anything differently. I'll let either Kelly or Charlie answer that. But I, they, they were going to break through. Charlie missed the game. It's Charlie. Charlie's got to yeah, do I, it. I, I mostly agree with um, with Steph in that I think they were destined to break through. They There were some of the games in the series, they were legitimately creating chances and, and Price was making saves or they were missing the net or they were hitting the post. So on some level, they, they were destined for a breakthrough. Uh, a couple of things I did I did notice about um, about what they did in Game 5. Number one, they were better on entries. They still, still weren't great, but they were better. And that was key because in some of the games, in the games where the power play was really bad, such as Game 4, they couldn't even get the damn puck into the zone. And they certainly couldn't get it set up with control in the offensive zone. And that's obviously the first thing you got to do before you can do anything. They were better at that in Game 5. Secondly, the creative passes were back. And Voracek noted that after the game was that, you know, we their power play is centered around you know those cross slot passes those plays that they get they get the the goalie moving side to side and they get the, the 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 penalty kill coverage in panic mode because the puck is going all over and they were finally hitting on those you know Voracek's passing was on point Giroux was passing better they were avoiding Montreal deflected a lot of those cross slot yeah. passes in the, in the early part of the series the Flyers were finally getting them through probably because they were being just a little bit more deceptive with their setup and with their eyes, you know, maybe fooling guys like Philip Deneau who were in the middle of the uh, the slot for most of the first few games of the series. They were just better there. And then they just got better luck. Like, the Farabee goal was, objectively speaking, just an incredibly nice play. The first two goals, they both deflected in off Ben Sherratt. Jake passed were- it into the net! Yeah, like those were the types of good luck plays. This goes back to what Steph was saying. They just weren't getting in the first part of the series. They finally got some good bounces, and then that gave them the confidence, I think, to then try and execute on a play like the Farabee goal, which, you know, two games earlier, they might not have even attempted because everything's going wrong. We can't even try it. Yeah, I think it was game four they tried. It was either... um... I think it was on Monday's show, or Monday or Tuesday's show, whenever me and you did the bonus show, Charlie. Um, we talked about that old Simmons backdoor play, where it goes tic-tac-toe, Giroud to Voracek to the, to the, to the backdoor, and Simmons used to slam at home. And they ran it with Couturier, and he just bunted it wide. And uh, Giroud tried that bank play off the backboards, and it was so close to working. Like, when they tried that stuff, you could tell it was right there, and then it comes through in Game 5. So I think it does have a lot to do with confidence, and then, of course, like 50% of of hockey at least is luck, and they got a little. All right. Uh, it's always, it's so tough because I always wait one second for someone to say something when we're doing the, when we're doing the remote ones. It's just still getting used to it, fam. It's only been five months. Sorry, I'm dealing with a work thing. No, I know, I know. So back to Elaine Vigneault for a second. We talked about the strategy of, uh, you know, putting out your five worst players after scoring the biggest goal of the season. So let's talk about what he can do for game six. Do we expect any sort of lineup changes? Well, I guess a defenseman's probably going to come in if, if Niskanen is indeed suspended, and it seems like that's there's a good chance that's going to yeah. happen. So I guess Ghost is going to come in, and that's going to mess with the, the D-pairing. So there's your, there's your change there. Now, as for the forwards, I really want to see them get JBR back. Me too. Line, right? and, and to me, I mean, I don't think he's going to pull Thompson. I, I, I do think he should. I don't think he's going to because I think he likes that 
fit on the fourth line. Um, I would love it if, if he did, because I think the logical choice would be move Lawton back to center and use Lawton as the center of the line. Basically, use Lawton the way you're using Thompson, because Lawton could do a lot of the same things Thompson could do, except he's just a better hockey player. Like, use that line as your secondary shutdown line, get JVR back up in the top nine, and boom, hopefully you profit. I do think he probably finds a way to get JVR back. I hope so. That, that to me, I th- that to me, I think is going to be the adjustment. I think he maybe comes in for Connor Bunneman, um, unless Albay Kubel can come back in, which I mean, I hope he can, but it seems like he's a little banged up. Um, I think JVR comes back in, and I think that's your that's your change. And then obviously you have to make adjustments based on this going to be now. But that I think is the change. I hope that the change is getting Thompson out, but I'm just not I'm not holding my breath. Let me put it that way. Do you think that there is a possibility at all of Morgan Frost coming in? Doesn't seem like it. I would be shocked. Yeah. yeah. He just he hasn't gotten any time. Mm-mm. Like yeah. they they use guys like Connor Bunneman in camp. They gave him like auditions in the top four lines. Morgan Frost never got so much as a sniff of being on a scoring line in camp or in any of the round robin or the exhibition games. I just think he's pretty far down the, you know, down the list. And he's maybe a guy they bring in if like a Claude Drew gets hurt or a Travis Konechny misses some games, like bring in an offense guy. I do not see them bringing him in. I mean, it'd be fun, but I just, and like, with the, I just don't, I mean, one, one thing I pointed out, on Twitter during the game was just how furiously both these teams are back checking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you have to be, you have to be playing with a, a ton of pace to move to the neutral zone against these teams because there's someone on your back immediately. And what's the thing that Morgan Frost gets dinged for a lot? He, he, he slows the game down. He doesn't play with, with NHL pace. Sometimes that's a scary thing in this kind of series when you're just getting back checked to hell constantly. I don't, I don't know if he's a good fit for this. And team. also I, I, no, I agree yeah, I, I don't like the idea of throwing, someone brand new into a game six situation like absolutely not back checked to hell literally the series is hell <laughs> thank you for naming I can't this episode be the only one the that feels that way right <laughs> no back check to hell you're not at all okay good like it just it's like it's painful for me to I watch hate it. i have not missed a minute but i, I hate, hate i this series. hate this series i hate it i talked i talked to laura and um scott scott the other day and i was just like I, I like I hate the series and they're all feeling good about it. I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Like, is this is this the hockey that you're used to? I, I honestly I, want- yeah, I honestly think that those two expected the Flyers to blow the Habs out of the water from the jump. Yeah. So I, I can see why that they were a little bit excited yeah. about. So things. did I. <laughs> Me too. I, I had, had the, them in a I, sweep and then I had Flyers in five. So I'm just going to stop predicting. I had the Flyers at six, so we're setting up Good for job, a Charlie Charles. being correct in game six. We Again, shall see. you're right in your You're analysis. smarter than Greg Wachinski, so I wouldn't <laughs> doubt it, Chuck. What? That's the second time you've mentioned that. Can you, can oh, you, you didn't give see me it. some context, please? Oh, oh it was just no. a thing on Twitter. Like, Charlie said something about Nate McKinnon, and Greg retweeted him and was like, Charlie's a lot smarter than I am, so I'm going to put, like, I'm going to take this as a personal victory or something along those lines. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not making oh, fun so of Oh, so it was Greg. a nice thing. Was nice. He wasn't attacking Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, oh, okay. I'm, not, I'm not making fun of Wish. We all we all like him. Uh, yeah, you know, sometimes. He's the guy who actually talks about hockey on ESPN. Jesus Christ. He does do how, that. Could, <laughs> how could I not like him? That's true. Yeah. And he's like, seems like a pretty good dude. Um, Nicholas Albay Cubell. For a Devils fan. Yeah. <laughs> Nicholas Albay Cubell. Um, 
Please come back quickly. Is, I feel like part of my frustration why they weren't ready for the sort of physicality and game style of last night is that they are badly missing his edge. I know, I like, the, the series will not be won and lost on the back of NAK, but kind of important player at this point. He was having you know? a hell a of a series. Like, really do good. Do we know, do we have any sort of hint? About no, just, I, I, I was told by a source that he is indeed unfit to play. So this isn't a healthy scratch. I didn't think he's, so. He's, yeah, he's hurt. I do not know how he, hurt. They're I not, mean, everybody, everybody's being very tight-lipped on how injured. The puck was, was off his foot, right? Is that what happened? Yeah, where that puck hit him, not good. It would not surprise me if he could not get his foot in his skate. Yeah, which is like it's not, not even a. It, to me, it's probably not even a. a, a a pain tolerance thing. It's a literally my foot might be shattered situation. Yeah, which I really. Don't I wonder. Like. I, I I wonder if it's a toe, like because it, it hit him. It didn't hit him like on the ankle. It hit him on the front of his. It skate. was like the like, instep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So I kind of wonder if like it's a broken toe, and I don't know how like if I, how I, I I'm not familiar enough with hockey injuries to know like how serious that is presumably it's pretty serious but I don't know if like hey it's playoff hockey just put it in a stent and like deal with it I, I don't know I I don't have a clue really what what his injury is aside from like it's probably foot related I just hope it's not too serious because I agree I think the Flyers are missing him a lot I say numb up whatever's broken put it in the boot and then you can't take it off for the Rest of the playoffs. Just leave your foot in there. <laughs> you, just have to, you just have to sleep. Once in you escape. get it in there, That's it's a, fine. So listen, it's fine. You could take the blades. Get it off. in there. It's just like a yeah. You know, it's, it's all the right. old yeah. They do have those quick release blades now. Exactly. Everyone keeps fucking losing them. <laughs> I have seen more dudes lose their skate blades in this yeah. last two weeks of hockey than I have in the previous thirty years of my life. Yeah, those those skates might not be a good idea. Like in theory, sure, but in practice, this maybe not. This is like the first. This is like the or, first. You put them in a walking boot Ooh. <laughs> and put put the blades on the walking. Oh boot. God! There See now go. now we're 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 going back to my like first famous Twitter interaction with Jake Voracek back in 2016. Do you guys remember this story? No. <laughs> I, I, I think remember I remember 2016. Dog. The last so, the last two months have been 10 years. So this they was really this was the uh, this was the very first year that I was sort of covering the Flyers full time. I had basically I had essentially quit my marketing job. I was sort of a beat writer for BSH Radio because I was working part-time marketing and then I was doing a ton of tracking work and covering games and covering practices occasionally for for BSH and Jake Voracek had just broken his foot and it was uh Scott Trauma NHL flyer on Twitter uh in his like usual very over the top intentionally sarcastic uh methods on Twitter basically says something to the extent of like like you know Essentially, like, what a little bitch not playing through injury. He's soft. And I, like, quote, I, think, I don't even think I quote you. I think I just responded to his tweet saying, like, following up the sarcasm with, yeah, if he was, if he was really tough, he would play in a walking boot. Like, he would literally play <laughs> hockey on one foot with a walking boot on. And Jake Voracek stumbled upon my Oops. tweet. Oh, wow. Quote, Shocked. Quote tweeted it and in all caps <laughs> responded with, are you shitting me? Oh, I do remember the argument. Are, but me? and then I proceeded yeah. to spend the next two hours getting ripped by like thousands of nameless people on Twitter, saying like, "How dare I question Jake Voracek's toughness?" When obviously I was being sarcastic and I was not questioning Jake Voracek's toughness at yeah, all. Yeah, for like the most 
for like the most sarcastic motherfucker I've ever come across. <laughs> Jake doesn't read it as well as he, you know? So, but no, it was funny because like after like an hour of me being ribbed, Voracek comes back on Twitter and was like, I may have been mistaken on that <laughs> I don't think he was serious. Upon and then like review. an hour after that, after an hour after that, he then tweets out, my girlfriend has taken away my Twitter privileges. I'm sorry. Charlie. And then... He- the- then the next day I went up to him at practice and I was like, hey, by the way, like that was me. I very clearly wasn't being serious. And he was like, oh, yeah, now I figured it out. I didn't realize it first, but oh I know God. now. <laughs> and like that was like the beginnings of my good relationship with Jake Voracek. Oh, Jake, all sweet. Jake had to say, all Jake had to say was this isn't really who I am. I'm a man of faith. And we could have eaten all <laughs> oh, of this. Jesus. Oh, no. All right, so we're having some fun, show. and I feel like we need to wrap up the show on a on a on something that we can all get behind. No matter how you're feeling about last game, no matter how you're feeling about this series, we can all take a few minutes to say "LOL Pittsburgh." Um, so I'm gonna read I'm gonna read a little excerpt from an article uh, on the Athletic Pittsburgh, and just we're gonna we're gonna react to it. So this is a quote from GM Jim Rutherford. Here's my summary of this situation, a terse Rutherford said. Maybe Jack Johnson isn't as good as I think he is. Maybe. Maybe. But he's not as bad of he's not as bad as all of the anti-Jack Johnson people think he is. I'll tell you what he is. He's a solid third-pairing defenseman if he's playing with the right guy. He's a player that I happen to really like, and I think he's a better player than a lot of people want to give him credit for. What high praise. Oh, my God. It's Andrew McDonald. Like, it's happening a couple hundred miles away again. It's the exact same thing. My favorite thing about all of this is that now there's, like, a whole set of, like, high and mighty Twitter users who have decided that they're, like... You guys don't understand the internal metrics that teams have that you don't have access to, so you're an idiot. And it's like, okay, cool. Jack Johnson sucks. Tell me more. <laughs> you know what's great about this? And, like, this uh, this makes me feel so good, is that, like, Jack Johnson a few years ago, it was a really sad story. He basically got cleaned out yeah. money-wise by his family. Sad. It really sucked, and it really made you feel bad for him. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I feel bad for this guy. I really hope that some team like gives him a big contract that isn't the flyer so he can replenish his funds yeah. and live a good life despite the fact that his family took advantage of him. And that happened. And it's the and Penguins! The Pittsburgh Penguins! <laughs> Get two Best birds possible. stoned at once, baby! It's awesome! <laughs> Like it's the best. That is like the best case scenario. It for is us. the best possible thing that could happen. And they continue like, I'm to just think reading he's good. this. He's a decent third pairing defenseman if he plays with the right guy. Like, are they gonna give Justin Braun five million to play with him next year? I hope so. Is that what's gonna happen? I sure hope so too. Oh man, best case scenario, yeah. Yeah. If he has a uh, really good hockey player dragging his dead lifeless body around, yeah. he's not so bad. If we happen to come across a 21-year-old Ivan Provorov and we saddle him, they might break even. Mm -hmm. Like, they're basically saying, without in in not so many words, that Jack Johnson is a number six defenseman. Yes. And, like, maybe, maybe he's a number six. Maybe that's the charitable way to look at it. You know what you don't do to number six defensemen? You don't pay them (laughs) $3.25 million a year on a five-year contract. You just don't do it. Like, imagine just any defenseman getting five years at that age who isn't named fucking Chris Pronger. Like, like, 
It's so ridiculous. Oh my god. So we can all laugh at the penguins for just Always. a minute. And this is just it's great news for the entire rest of the league, especially us. That they are poorly run. We can all see that now. Like, Crosby and Malkin are still very good, but they're not the best players in the league anymore, so they are bad. Exactly. <laughs> they're, not, they're Edmonton, you know? <laughs> they're fucking Edmonton. I like this. I like Pittsburgh turning into Edmonton. I mean, let's, let's keep it this I way. wish they didn't win the three cups before it happened, but well. we can't change the past until Kelly and I get in the phone booth and figure out how to change the past. Station. But... Until the stage. Uh, how pumped are you, Kelly? Because I'm having a party. Are you? That's fun. We're going to, I mean, it's going to be like me and my two idiot friends oh. who love Bill and Ted so much. That's enough. But yeah, a party. Wear your masks. A party nonetheless. I'm pretty excited. We'll do it socially distanced, Steph. All right, but wear your mask regardless. All right. Do we have anything else? Oh, yeah. What, uh, does this end on Friday? Please yes. tell me yes. 100%. It yes. has to. For, for the sake of my blood pressure, it has to. It's gonna. Like, it has to. I picked Flyers at six. I'm still sticking with Flyers at six because you know what? I, I this whole series is just set up to prove me wrong. Oh so fuck! Charlie is going to be an with. absolute insufferable douchebag for the rest of our lives. <laughs> now he's smarter than Wish, and he's picking series correctly. It's just going to be too much. I got to tell you, I'm not in good enough health for this to go seven. <laughs> I, I was can't. thinking about this. I was That's just what thinking, I'm saying. I was just, yeah, Steph has had a stroke. I'm me. I can't, like, I cannot go through seven no of more. these games. I'm going to have to become Kelly and Charlie and just live at the gym if this is, if this is what Flyers hockey is going to be. Um, <laughs> I will tell you this, a reason to be, even if they don't win Friday, remember 2008 in the first round, they had the 3-1 lead and blew it and won game seven in, in overtime. overtime. Yeah, so I don't need yeah, that. that could happen. I don't need that shit. No, I no. will not. Something, I won't survive. Something like, will, will go have, wrong I will for me. have to turn it off and go to a quiet room, and someone will have to tell me what happened. Like, I won't make it. The big difference between that series and this one is that that series had Alexander Ovechkin dragging the Capitals back from the abyss. I don't think the Canadians have a early 20s Alexander Ovechkin. <laughs> I, I may, maybe they do, but I'm, I'm not think seeing so. it. They don't. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, was, I was reading up on that series the other night. Alex Ovechkin's first career playoff goal was the Patrick Thorson shot to the balls. <laughs> it was that game. Wow. That was the, on that play was his first career was playoff it? goal. Wow, Just okay. interesting trivia to me. Yeah. Uh, all right, I think that's it. Are we done? Yeah, I'll talk to you guys next week from the second round. All right, that. Uh, get, step. Stop. Yep. Stop buying Kata Hot t-shirts. Oh, God. Fuck Stop right off. doing it. Steph, I Stop didn't even get into it. I didn't doing even. Doing it. God. My opening take was going to be everyone who loves the Kata Hot bullshit. I hope you enjoyed your Celtics and Red Sox victory. We yesterday. don't like Boston. Stop it. It dude, we, Just stop it. We have the fucking... two t-shirts that you can buy from uh, Breaking Tea that have Carter yeah. Hart stuff on Support them. Support your local podcast. Support your local podcast. The money goes right to us. The we fucking people who came out of the woodwork yesterday to yell at me about a fucking t-shirt. Unbelievable. Dorks. Unbelievable. All right. That is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for having hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. Boom. Content delivered to you. All right. That's it for, uh, for Kelly, for Charlie, for Steph. My name is Bill. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah.